Well, good morning, friends. Great to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us today. I know we have lots of visitors in our midst, lots of our own folks still traveling. If you are flying or driving today, we will pray for your soul. Um, not, not wishing I was in that same category. So glad, uh, glad that you're with us, though, this morning. Hopefully uh, this week, though, you didn't waste all of your energy uh, eating on Thursday, shopping on Friday, or putting up decorations on Saturday. Uh, because today's Sunday, and I'm going to need some of that energy from you today. Okay? I'm going to need a little something from you today. I hope the tryptophan is worn off because we got some things to do. Uh, we got some rejoicing that needs to be had. This morning, I want us to reflect on all that God has done through this church as we as a church have gone through his story. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today or the first time in a long time, we've spent the last nine months walking through the entire Bible, cover to cover. We've been utilizing a resource called the story, but I brought these both up here to show you it's the same, same thing. One, one is the same, okay? We've been going through this chronologically. What it does is it takes all the characters in the Scripture, it takes all the crises in the Scripture, and it places them in chronological order to show us how it all comes together, how it all connects to us, and how it all communicates a seamless, spectacular story. See, the moment that God spoke creation into existence, that moment back in the beginning when he said, let there be light, what he did in that moment was really begin telling a story, a great story of love, a great story of loss, and this great story about eternal, everlasting life. And if you spend any time reading this story, if you spend any time studying this story, any time trying to figure out what is the primary message behind this story, you will quickly discover this is the greatest story ever told. And we know a good story when we hear one, don't we? I mean, we love good stories. Right now, we're reading the Berenstein Bears with the girls. Those are just great stories. I can't wait to go see The Last Mockingjay because I love that story. I even love ESPN's 30 for 30s, right? Those documentaries, they're just great stories. We know a great story. We are, we're so motivated by a great story. We are moved by great stories. And nowhere is that more evident than as it pertains to God's story. See, in fact, all other stories, all the stories that I just lifted and listed off and every single other story, it's all based off of this story. You can't tell me anything in any other story that I have first haven't read and first haven't discovered in this story. Good, evil, deception, redemption, love, lust, battles, new beginnings, heaven, hell, everything in between, it's all in here. It's all in here. And if you've missed the last nine months, well, nothing we do this morning could, could do it justice, but, but this video gets close. Watch this. All right, at some point this week, you got to come and, and watch that again, but you got to stand up here and let the bass just rumble through your body. These two whoopers, oh, John, that was, that was fun. Well done, my friend. Well done. You see, guys, this is, this is the story. This is not just a story. This is not just some story. This is the story. This is the story of God's relentless pursuit of us, the story of Christ's great love for us, and the story of God's spirit in us. There's no story like it. And although some of you told me this series was a tad bit too long, this story is the only story that helps you get through everything in life you're going through. This is the only story that can do that. 
You see, like, like Adam and Eve in chapter 1, we were tempted and tested, and we are on a daily basis. Like Abraham, we're asked to go places and do things we don't want to do. Like Isaac, we're asked to make sacrifices and called to lay our life down. Like Joseph, we're called to forgive those who hurt us and endure unfair pain and suffering. Like Moses, we're called to lead people out of bondage and captivity. Like David, we're called to praise and proclaim a new king. Like Nehemiah, we're called to give up the comforts of this life to help rebuild the lives of others. Like Paul, we're called to be changed and live for grace. See, that's the story. And that's your story. That's why it's so important. I can watch other stories and I can like the characters, but I don't see myself in those characters. I'm not those characters, but that's not true for this story. You are in this story. You're actually a very big part of this story. See, it's taken us nine months to get through it, but this helps you get through everything else. It's taken us nine months to get through it, but it helps you get through everything else. I thought about starting the story on January 1st again at West Bowles. We'll go through the story again. Don't throw anything at me. I'm just kidding, okay? But we could. We could start all over again, couldn't we? We can start in Genesis 1-1 all over again and say, God, teach us something new about your story. Because it's not just a story. It's not just some story. It's the story. It's a narrative that helps us navigate life, the rough waters and the calm ones. How many of you read the Harry Potter books? Anybody read? All, okay, good, good. More than first service, not a surprise. But how many of you read Lord of the Rings, the series? All right, how about Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody get through all of CS? Okay, good, good. Well, if, if you read Harry Potter, then you read 4,224 pages. If you read the Lord of the Rings series, you read 2,200 pages. And if you made it through the Chronicles of Narnia, you read close to 1,000 pages. But here's the thing. The average NIV, the average Bible, depending on your font size, because some of us need a little bit, little bit bigger, the average NIV is 900 pages. 900 pages. 900 pages. In comparison to 4,000, 2,200, 1,000, 900 pages. And in those pages, we read the greatest story of all time. And like those other books, right, we pick up the newest book. We can't wait, wait to read through them all. We even reread those books. We love those books. We lose ourselves in those books. How come we can't do the same with this book? How come we can't do it with this story? Now, Harry Potter, he'll entertain you, but he won't enliven you, right? Lord of the Rings will make you think, but they won't change your mind. Chronicles of Narnia make you laugh, but they won't bring you to life. That's what this story does. 900 pages. It's the greatest story ever told. See, the Bible is the only narrative that will help you navigate life. It's the only book. It's the only story that will show you how to find eternal life. And if you think that you got it all or that you've heard it all or that somehow you know it all, then I've said you miss it all. You've missed it all. If you honestly think you've heard this before, I'm a pastor. I, I read a lot of this book and there are times I read it. It's like, how did I miss that? I've never seen that before. Ever happened to you? Like, I've, I've studied Moses. I've looked at the life of Paul. I read Ephesians, but I never saw chapter five. Because this story is unlike any other story. You always find something new. You always find something else. You always find more of yourself when you read it. 
So this morning as we summarize it, as we try to cover and reflect on all that we looked at the last few months, I want you to remember just one thing. Jesus is at the center of this story. Jesus is at the center of this story. Revelation 12, 10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of God, the authority of his Christ. The day that Ryan and Chelsea talked about, the day that they were lighting that candle for, the day we can't wait for him to come back, that day has come for the accuser, the devil, the one who accuses our brothers and sisters. He's been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. They did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. So glad Rebecca picked that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, rejoice. That's what I want us to do today. I want us to rejoice. Look again at verse 11. They have defeated him. They have defeated the devil by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. What in the world does that mean? Let me tell you. I'm a huge college football fan, so I'm loving life right now. There have been some close games the last couple of days, and there's just been some crazy blowouts the last couple of days. But nothing came close to what happened back in 1916. John Heisman, who actually is the one that the Heisman Trophy is named after, was coaching the Georgia Tech football team. They faced a team known as Cumberland. It was Cumberland's first year being a football team. Well, after the first quarter, the score was 63 to nothing, Georgia Tech. It's what will happen tonight at the Broncos game. Um, I'm not going to tell you which direction that score will be, but I won't tell you what the score was at halftime, but you'll know how bad it got when you hear this. At halftime, they got a, the second half kickoff. Cumberland received the kickoff, and the first guy stumbled and tripped, and he dropped the ball, and he yelled it to the other guy who was receiving the kickoff, hey, grab that ball, and the guy stood there, I kid you not, said, you pick it up, you dropped it. You know you're having a bad game and your teammates won't help you out. Well, by the end of the game, the final score was 222 to nothing. It is the worst defeat in college football history. Oh, there's going to come a day where there is a defeat just like that one, where there is a very lopsided match, where one side will completely destroy the other side. That day will come when Jesus comes. And on that day, we learn that we will prevail over the power and presence of evil. On that day, we will walk in victory against violence itself. On that day, we will defeat death and even the devil himself. How? Jesus. Jesus will help us to defeat all of those things. It says we overcome we overcome everything we face, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We overcome everything we're dealing with. We overcome it all through the blood of the lamb. It's an interesting way to say it. The blood of the lamb. That phrase is used about 43 times throughout scripture. It's just talking about Jesus' blood. See, next week we're going to start talking about his blood being in him. He becomes a baby. He has blood flowing through his body. We're going to spend four weeks looking at the miracle that that is. But what this passage is talking about is the miracle that his blood was poured out of his body when he shed that blood for us. And somehow as he shed that blood, as he sacrificed that blood on the cross for us, he becomes the sacrificial lamb, but he also becomes this strong lion, but really he becomes the source of all life. 
He is the beginning, the middle, and the end of this great story. The cross is the crux of the whole thing. Right in the middle of this book is the cross. And every moment before the cross points to the cross. And every moment after the cross points back to the cross. It's all about Jesus in this story. It's his story. It's an amazing story. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite authors and pastors, presented something that I absolutely love. And I want to share that with you this morning. I've edited it a little bit for our context, but he gets all the credit. He's much smarter than I am. He says this, Jesus is the true and better Adam. He took on flesh and was infused with God's miraculous breath and life, but he passed the test in the garden, and he was obedient. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and the familiar, to go out into the void and to help people connect to God and to connect with one another in a radical new way. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not offered by his father, but who was actually sacrificed by his father. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me, we can say that to God. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled with God on our behalf, who took the blow of justice so that we wouldn't have to, who walked away forever wounded so that we could be healed. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who sits at the right hand of the king, who forgives those who betrayed him and tried to kill him, who now uses his power and position of influence to bless us instead of hurt us. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands up to anything and anyone who opposes us and walks us through our wilderness and into a new promised land. Jesus is the new and better Job, the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for us and who saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better judge who uses his wisdom and authority to guide us into a better life. Jesus is the true and better David whose passion and victory become our passion and our victory. Jesus is the true and better Esther who not only risked his life or his palace, but he gave up his life and his palace. He's the true and better Nehemiah who left the palace and left the comforts of life to help rebuild the broken lives of you and I. And we could go on and on and on and on. Jesus is the true and better everything. Jesus is the true and better everything. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end of this great story. He's not just a character in this story. He's the main character. He's the center of it all. It's all about him. It's all about who he is. It's all about what he's done. It's all about how much he loves us and what he did for us. He's at the center of God's story. But here's the thing. He needs to be at the center of yours as well. God is at the center, or Jesus is at the center of God's great story, and he needs to be at the center of yours as well. One way to learn something new about another person is to ask them a series of questions, and although we don't say this very often, I might, I might start using it again. I love the way this sounds. Just like, what's your story? Right? What's your story? How'd you get here? How'd you end up in Littleton in 2015? How'd you, how'd you get here? What led to this moment? What were the highs and the lows and the in-betweens that led you to this moment? What's your story? It's a great question, isn't it? Normally we say it kind of negatively. Like, what's your story? Maybe to your kids or whatever. Like, how'd that break, right? But what's your story? It's a fascinating question. I honestly want you to spend some time thinking about how you would answer that question this morning. What's your story? You a single mom? Is that your story? A retired vet? Is that your story? You a hardworking businessman? Is that your story? You a newlywed, a longtime churchgoer, a hater of all things patriots? Like, what's your story? 
What's your story? And most of us haven't really thought about our story, have we? We, don't, we honestly don't think that we have one. But nothing could be further from the truth. You have a great story. You're part of a great story. Spend some time thinking about the beginning of the story. The characters that you met along the way in the story. The conflict that came about in your story. Think about your story. What is it? What's your story? This great quote that I came across this week speaks directly to all this. Life begins once Jesus becomes the reason you live it. Life truly begins once Jesus becomes the reason you live it. See, your story, if it still doesn't have Jesus at the center of it, we got to talk. If your story is still all about you and not about him, something's wrong. If you aren't seeing and feeling and coming to believe how Jesus is working through, working on, and working out your story, then, then you've missed it all. If your story isn't infused with the presence of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, then your story is lacking in the power of Jesus. But that's how your story is meant to be read. It's not supposed to be so-so. Like, ah, it's an okay story. Your story is meant to be spectacular. <laughs> but the only way that happens is through Jesus. If Jesus isn't at the center of your story, within a few short years, your story is going to come to an end. And then a few short years after that, your story is going to be forgotten. I asked you this at the beginning of the series, but I think it's a good analogy. I'll use it again. I asked you, how many of you remember your grandparents? Most of you raised your hand. How many of you remember your great-grandparents? Again, most of you. How about your great-great-grandparents? No, not, not as many. About four generations in, nobody raised their hand. In 70, 80, 90 years, we completely forgot about the stories of those people that came before us. And those were family. Same's going to happen with our story. It's going to be forgotten. It's going to come to an end. People are going to disregard it. Unless Jesus is at the center of it. If he's at the center, it's not forgotten. It goes on forever. All right, if we looked at this last week. If your story is part of God's story, if you allow him to become the center of your story, then your story goes on for all of eternity. See, your story is an important part of God's great story. I want you to hear that. I don't care if anybody knows your name or everybody knows your name. I don't care, I don't care if you've got lots of talents, you don't think you have any talents at all. I don't care where you've been or what you've done or the, what wounds you have or what scars you have. I don't care what your story is. It's an important part of God's story. That's why the book of Acts, we didn't talk about that in this chapter, but the book of Acts doesn't really end. It's just kind of like you turn the page and it's blank. The book of Acts is the story of the church. The book of Acts is still being written by us. That story is still being written. You are still part of this. You are part of this great story. You are an important part of this great story. But guess what? Your story only becomes great when God becomes the most important part in your story. You're an important, excuse me, you're an important part in his story, but your story only becomes great when he becomes an important part of yours, the most important part. Now, you would expect me to say this, right? I'm a preacher. Like, this is what I say. Like, okay, yeah, preacher, Jesus is the sinner. Your story matters. Yeah, you're in the Bible. What, what are you talking about? Okay, preacher, expect that. Well, this morning I want you to hear this from people you wouldn't expect it from. Because I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher. I'm not just saying this because that's my job. I'm saying this because it's true. I'm saying this because I've seen it happen. And I want you to see it happen to you. Watch this. My name is Jim Johnson. Um, 
I've been going to West Bowls for that's four or five years now. Uh, and my story took a crazy turn uh, on July 10th of this year um, that has been uh, one of the hardest things I've been through, but an absolute blessing uh, now that I've, I'm on the other side. You know, I have struggled with anxiety since the service, uh, since the Persian Gulf, you know, in the Navy, and uh, I've kept it pretty quiet uh, from my wife, from my family, um, from friends. I've been dealing with blacking out for 20 years. I had a seizure uh, while we were on vacation with my family in Missouri and caused a compression fracture in my L1 vertebrae. Uh, I was in the hospital for four days. After we got home from, from Missouri, um, I was on pain medication, was feeling pretty good. It was a Monday night and I was sitting watching TV with the family and just the memory of calling out to my wife that morning that I brought my back ran through my mind. And just this rush of anxiety and fear came over me that started another anxiety attack and tried going to bed and it didn't help. It didn't make a dent in it. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I ended up having about a three day panic attack just round the clock. All these what ifs just kept rushing in and Heather and I spent the next, next three days just engrossed in the Bible and prayer journal and just, it was, it was terrifying but amazing at the same time. It was like I was having a conversation like I was having with my wife, but with God. Like it was that interactive and that quick and it was just absolutely uh, incredible. And I kept going, that was a coincidence. That one was a coincidence, that was a coincidence. And he just kept doing it over and over and over. And I was like, all right, maybe, maybe it's not a coincidence, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something more to this. You know, and I think a lot of people probably live at, at this level and come to church and go home and you go on about your life and, and you don't think about it, you know, that like, like he wants us to. And uh, except when you're faced with these crazy situations that at some point or another we all go through. Uh, and I hate that it takes that for us to listen and to actually do something uh, that we're supposed to, because it seems pretty simple. Follow me, you know. <laughs> but we're, we're stubborn. Just been an incredible, incredible journey that's really just getting started at learning how to live right here and trust that he's provided everything I need right now. And what I need tomorrow, he'll provide for. I don't have to worry about it. And what happened in the past, I don't have to bring to here. I can give that to him and I can let go of it. And that's a daily struggle and a, a change in thinking to get to the point where I can truly be in the present and not let all these what ifs and what happened just completely overwhelm me. I hope that God can help me use this experience to help someone through a hard time they're going through. Um, I hope that this story takes me to a place of removing fear from, from my body, from my mind. I'm so exhausted from being afraid. Um, I know none of us are getting out of here alive, you know, so I, I wanna accept that. 
and I want to I want to live. I, I, I want to enjoy what He's provided and created, and not be wondering what might happen, what might happen, what might happen, and just just go with it, um, and, and just be someone that people can see that through how I live. My name is Krista, I Badassi. I've been at West Bowles. My first service here was um, actually Easter Sunday of last April. You know, I look back where I was seven months ago and where I am now. Um, seven months ago, I honestly, and it's hard to admit to it, but was angry, um, almost bitter, just towards life itself. You know, I've had a lot of, you know, a lot of hardships and heartaches and losses. So yeah, before I was just living kind of a um, destructive lifestyle, you know, as a mother of three children, um, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of work, there's no sleep, no time for yourself. Um, so like I said, I was drinking, you know, alcohol quite a bit um, and just living, you know, carelessly, destructively just not really, you know, taking care of my kids, not, not taking care of myself. Um, so, you know, I just, something had to change and, um, you know, I started coming to West Bowles. So every time I came, it was, you know, there was a message to me and, you know, Tom is saying, um, you know, doesn't matter what walk of life we're coming from, coming from what we're going through. Um, and I just felt like there was just a message for me and I almost feel like every chapter of the story that we've gone through, I'm going, reliving a chapter in my life almost. There's constant, you know, temptations, um, I think in everyday life, um, people that are in your life, people that are around you and you know, just knowing that I, you know, have been saved and that I've given, you know, my life to God is, you know, what keeps me going every day. This is who I need to be talking to and having a relationship with is God first, you know, for all my other relationships to work out or to even happen. And, you know, a lot's changed. And, and I talk about God all the time. I mean, people might get sick of it, you know, at work. I'm you know, telling them, oh, tomorrow's Sunday, and they all, everybody knows that Chris is going to church in the morning, and, you know, what's she going to tell us now? And um, But it's something I love to share. I feel like I've got a lot of direction now. Um, you know, I've prayed to God a lot, and I've talked to Him, you know, a lot more than I have my whole life. Um, my faith is stronger than it's ever been. And I feel like it's only getting stronger. But, you know, like I said, that's God's way of working um, in and through you. And I, I know that there's still more to come, you know. And I think, you know, this your story, our story, anyone's story unravels, you know, piece by piece. And, you know, where am I going to be seven months from now? You know, that's, that's what I'm excited to know. So he's just, he's come in at the point of, you know, when I really needed him, when I, when I did, you know, 
kind of hit rock bottom in my life and had, you know, no other hope, no other, you know, I didn't really know which way to turn. And now, you know, with God in my heart and, you know, on my mind constantly every day, you know, I, I know where I'm going. You've, uh, you've seen those signs out at, at, at workplaces, right? They say, uh, caution, danger men at work. It's kind of a funny saying anyway. <laughs> I think we should place a, a little placard or a sign in front of Krista's life, in front of Jim's life. It says, caution, God's at work, right? I mean, I could listen to those stories all day. I love hearing those stories. Why? Because, because their story is being lost and yet found in God's story. Jesus is going from a small part of the story, even a peripheral part of the story, to the center, to the essence of their story. And all of a sudden, their story brings us life, doesn't it? Their story brings us hope. The story brings great encouragement. I mean, keep talking, Krista, Jim, come on, keep sharing your story. Because now that Jesus is in it, now that he's the center of it, I want to hear more of it. We talked about your story being so-so. Their stories were worse than that. I mean, their stories are filled with, I mean, scared would probably be a better word. Sick, right? I mean, those, those are words that better describe it. So-so, that would have been nice. They goes from those words to spectacular. Why? Because of Jesus. And it's not because their story is perfect. Now they'll be the first ones to tell you. We're still working it out. We don't know what the next chapter holds, but I do know who's writing the story. And I talk to him every day. And I ask him, can you help me make sense of the last chapter? Can you give me some encouragement? See, I'm going through this, and I don't know what to do. Well, oh, should I go look at the story of Esther? Oh, I should go talk to Nehemiah? Oh, Hezekiah's got some information for me? Oh, Ephesians? Okay, help me make sense of what's going on in my story, and God, you direct the rest of the story. See how that changes the story? Lord of the Rings ain't do that for you. <laughs> Harry Potter doesn't care about you, but God does. And that's the story I want you to give yourself to. It reminds me of Mark 5. See, Jesus in Mark 5 basically goes across the tracks. He goes across the pond to an area and a region and a people that the Jews hated and they despised. Well, when he comes across uh, the first person there, it's actually this man who's demon-possessed. He's been totally removed and ostracized from, from reality, but totally removed and ostracized from his family and from his friends for years and years. So this demon-possessed man comes up to Jesus. We don't have time to talk about it, but Jesus says, get out of here. Not to the man, but to the demon. And he does. The demon leaves him alone. God completely heals him from this debilitating problem. And then we read this in Mark 5, 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Go home and tell them what God has done for you. Real fast, back to Revelation 12, 11. Christians overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Christians overcome because of Jesus, right? And, and by their testimony. And by their story. And by their story. You see, Jesus wanted this man to stay because he needed the man to share. He needed to share what was going on. He needed to share his testimony. Jesus wanted this man to stay because he needed him to talk about how God had rewritten his story and turned it upside down and right side up. Jesus wanted this man to stay because he needed him to tell others 
what the Lord had done for him. And if you read further into Mark 5, you'll find that later on when Jesus goes back across the tracks a second time, there's a huge crowd of people that wants to learn more about him. There's actually a bunch of people that have already given their life to him. Why? Because of the power of this man's testimony. We are saved because of Jesus, and there's power in our story about Jesus. You with me? It's about the power of our testimony. There's power in our story. See, what you experienced as you were watching Jim, as you were watching Krista, that's, that's called the power of God. The power of God changing and rewriting and reworking a story. And some of you were incredibly blessed by that. Well, guess what? Your story can do the same thing for other people. You have a story. Jesus needs to be at the center of it. And when he is, you got to tell that story to everybody you come into contact with. Church is tomorrow, Krista says. you got to tell your story. you got to tell your tale because there's power in it. There's power in it when Jesus is at the center of it. Now, it doesn't just happen for people. It happens for entire communities. We should put a God at work sign out in the parking lot of West Bowles. What I've loved as we've gone through this series is how we've seen God at work through this entire church. See, through the last nine months, multiple people have given their lives to Christ for the very first time. In this series, over 25 people were baptized into Christ, including Jim and Krista both. In this series, we raised close to $200,000 to rebuild the walls of this church. In this series, we supported numerous missionaries to go out and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we're called to do in Acts. In this series, we asked you to intentionally think about how we can be better as a church, more missionally focused, how we can better reach our community, and you did. See, God is writing the story right here, right now, through us. He's writing the story through West Bowles, and if you're here today, you're a part of it. You're a part of this new chapter, this next chapter of what God is doing in his story. And I want you to tell somebody about it. I want you to tell somebody your story. I want you to tell somebody about what's happening at West Bowles. Why? Because we overcome. People will overcome through Jesus and the power of our testimony. That's what it says. By the power of our story. So, what is your story? Work, hobbies, family, divorce, alcohol, kids, stuff, anxiety, PTSD. What, what's, your, what's your story, man? What's your story? And it's my hope and prayer that this week you spend some time asking Jesus to move from just being a small part of your story to the absolute center and most important part of your story. I hope that you will ask him to become the essence of your story. And if you need help figuring out what that means, what that looks like, how to walk that out starting tomorrow, you come find me right now. Well, not right now, but 10 minutes. Let's talk. I want Jesus to be in your story, not just in it, but the most important part of it. Let me pray that will happen. We're going to sing just a few more songs together to wrap this morning up. God, you are an amazing God, and you have an absolutely amazing story. It is alive, and it speaks to us even today. Even though it was written thousands and thousands of years ago, Father, it still speaks to us today as if you were handwriting it to me personally. As I read Adam, as I read Abraham, as I read Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Esther, Nehemiah, Hezekiah, Ezekiel, Paul, Stephen, Timothy. As I read about those men and women, I read about myself. I see myself in their stories, God, and you're giving me encouragement, and you're giving me guidance, and you're giving me help, and you're making promises, and that's to me. Thank you for your story. Thank you that you wrote it. Thank you that you included me in it. I just pray that we will lose ourselves in it, Father God. We will not just see that it is a story or some story. God, this is the story.
And I pray that those of us who have made Jesus uh, the, the essence of that story, I just pray that we will start to share with everybody else uh, that particular story. The good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, the sideways and the byways. God, I pray that we will just share our story because you promise that we overcome through Jesus and when we tell other people about him. We overcome through the blood of the Lamb and through our testimony. So help us to be in the story, but also great storytellers. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and for a few minutes together, let's do what that song called us to do beforehand. Let's rejoice. Mm-hmm.